Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So the title of this one is going to be the 10,000 Bluebell. And Karina Burgess is my guest. And I realized that I have never had a full interview with you. The first one I had was with you in Savannah. So you kind of had to share time. And I didn't know who you were. And then I will tell more about that later. And then I had you on with Stuart and we did a tribute to Pierre Rambert. And that was beautiful to hear both of your experience of him. Because I only know his name, but I wanted to hear the personal stories. And you, you added so much beauty to that. And then you're part of the tea time with bluebells with Michelle. And that was fun, but I've never had just you. So well, thank thanks you for, for saying me back. So it's lovely to see you again. And I'm very honored to be once again, part of your fantastic uh, interviews podcast. Thank you. Well, and then also the other, I feel like I went, we should just hang out and we're so far across the countries from each other, but even like you taught one of my um, heels from Paris for my dancers, when we were in lockdown, you did the, over zoom and you were an, you were a goddess and I want to find that picture if I still have it it was the way you were framed you're teaching in your house I think it was arched windows and you were teaching uh I don't know if it was from a show but you hit this position and I just went and the light was shining I'm like oh you're just like a <laughs> goddess and everybody talked about that because they're you know they're used to taking from their peers or people maybe a little bit older, but they've never taken, my dancers have never taken from someone who is a legend on the stage in a style that they're not familiar with. So they were just like, what is this? And that's how you do it. <laughs> well, thank you. That was a lot of fun. It got me out of the, um, you know, the COVID lockdown. It got me moving again. <laughs> it was beautiful. Then Savannah was teaching. So to have mother and daughter and just to see like all this talent, and before I even let you talk, different dances as well. Actually. Oh, it was, and completely, yeah, because completely different dances. I Marissa think. also taught. So we had sister, mother, daughter, and then that you all taught very different style of heels, and they just ate it up. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, pleasure. And then I've been reading. I've read so many Bluebell books. I didn't know that there were so many. I have a stack of them, and you're mentioned in at least two or three. I read Shea Stafford. <laughs> and I'm like, Karina, I know Karina. So she's in there. And I, maybe you were in Jane Hoggard's book. I feel like your name comes up a lot in people's books I've read. And I'm still waiting to get the Lido book that, that Jeremy was part of, but it, they, they're not shipping it to America yet. So I'm just going to buy mine in Paris when I'm there. But your name comes up also in so many people's interviews when they talk about getting finally getting to Paris and being the Lido and how they go. And then there was Karina and like, she was this goddess on stage and how they looked up to you. But a lot of them even learned how to perform by watching you. So I'm just going to keep flattering you and really? flattering you. Oh, I don't know about that. I just always admired everybody's, um, you know, I, I used to look at the girls all the time, right from, right from the get go. When I very first watched the show, I was like, Oh, she looks like she's looking at me. And I was right in the very back, you know, with this global in the fishbowl, they called it. And so I always watched how everybody performed because uh, it, it intrigued me how they brought themselves across, you know, to the audience. And so you try when you you got the luxury of dancing every night, twice a night, you can try every every little bits and pieces of what people do and add it, to, you know, to your own kind of way of uh, coming across to the audience. And 
so you're always learning you know by, and every time a new person come, came in as well like uh, you know you even just watch them grow by being in the show because they were probably doing the same thing you know yeah that's like I had never seen people perform I mean, I did recitals and we kind of just smiled, you know, you smiled yeah. in your ballet or whatever character you are, but I had never really seen stage presence until like I get to Hello Hollywood. And we were talking about earlier about like Leslie Bandy, like these people that we talk about in America. And then you have the ones in Paris that people talk about that. I went, what is this? Like, it was so different. It's not just smiling. Like you said, they look like they're making eye contact. It's, it's uh, their face is actually performing not just the body with a smile, like everything, the eyes, the looks, the attitude. It's just, it was just so intriguing to me. And then I learned how to do it from watching other people. So you came in with that as well. I'm, can you talk about where you grew up and what your training was? Because I'm just curious how, sure. what your growth was to become such a fabulous performer. Like if somebody pushed you on that or you, it was just all about <laughs> observation. Yes, <I'm> <laughs> I'll just mm -hmm. shut this window for a minute somebody's mowing the lawn um well no it's interesting because I was just having a little bit of reflection before I, I came to talk to you and uh, I, I think I owe so much to my ballet teacher I still I still feel that I'm learning from her even now she's still alive she's in a, a nursing home I can't see her you know um well I couldn't because of COVID so she's probably like 97 or 8 now but you know being a teacher now a ballet teacher and just life lessons that you learned in the ballet school, you know, I still think about that, think about those lessons even though they were hard. Um, and I can, I can tell you a couple if you'd like to, but basically um, my mum and dad moved from the northern part of Australia when the uranium mine ran out and they moved to a little flat and across the road was a ballet studio and that ballet studio was at the back of a house. Uh, so my mum decided when I was nine years old, she decided to take me down um, to meet the ladies. And uh, she was a little bit like, what kind of a studio is this? Because it was just a shed in the back of a yard, right? So it didn't look like a, well, it was a shed in the back of the yard. Yeah. But, uh, but on the veranda, uh, there were pictures up of ballerinas all over the world. So then mum had a bit of, mum didn't know anything about this kind of stuff, but she loved all the Hollywood movies, obviously. And uh, it turns out that, you know, um, these girls were principals in ballet companies and my ballet teacher had connections all over the world. Uh, she, and they're still, now they've gone into being directors of companies. Uh, so they've, they've stayed in the business, you know, and, and they were very famous back then to us when we heard about, you know, she opened up this whole world of dance that we never knew about. And even the big girls in the class, you know, um, that I still look up to today. They're remarkable women. They're, they're business women. They're entrepreneurs. They're fabulous at what they do. They've taken it right through to much higher levels. And so they're still an inspiration to me, you know. But I started at nine and she put me in with the three to five-year-olds. <laughs> and because I was really tall, she, uh, you know, she wanted me to learn the basics. But I thought because, I, you know, when you're a kid and you think you're older, you, you're better. You know, yes. <laughs> so, so I went to the bar and I was saying my plie and I'm not very turned out, you know, my hips. And, and then I looked down at this three-year-old and she was like flat turn out and first position perfect. And I was just like, oh, maybe I need to try really, really hard to be like them so I can get out of this class and get in with my <laughs> my level. So right from the, right the get-go, you have to work really, really hard, you know, to prove yourself. And uh I was a bit of a shy child, I think. So she, when she would, she would kind of 
push people around a little bit, you know, mentally and physically. Uh, very Russian style of training, I suppose, back in hardcore back in the day. And I would, if she touched me, I'd cry. I just like, I would oh. cry. I'd be like, oh. and she wasn't even like hitting me hard. She was just like, come on, get those legs up or something. And I'd bore my eyes out in class. That's the type of child I was. And she hated that. She just ignored you then because you were just a crybaby and you weren't made of tough stuff, you know. So she never oh. corrected me. She just left me alone because I was a crybaby. And I was always up the back and really, really shy and hated doing unseen. I hated doing our improv improvisation, you know, which back then in the RAD, you had to do that in your exam. Hated to do improvisation. Had no, you know, get up and go and out there, you know. So she just left me and I just took everybody's corrections and put them onto myself because as far as I was concerned, they were all absolutely amazing and I was nowhere near as good as them. And so every correction, I just did it. I just did it myself. And she always harped on and on and on about, You've got to feel the music. You've got to love your arms, you know. And we always had live music as well. We always had a pianist. And she harped on and harped on. And I think by the time I got to grade three, I decided I'm going to try this smiling thing that you keep talking <laughs> <on> about. <laughs> and I did. And she went, stop the class. Who's that girl over there? I don't recognise who you are. And it was me, you know. Me was my not very good turnout and a bit gangly person. And she made such a fuss over me performing that I just performed every single class after that because I got a compliment. Oh, <laughs> my gosh, I love this part. Yeah, she never complimented anyone, but I got a compliment. So I just uh, grew from there as an artist, I suppose, right there and then in grade three ballet because yeah. I loved the music and I connected with the music and I loved what I was doing. And then cut to when I was a teenager then. Um, this was probably one of the hardest lessons I ever had. I had to go opposite um, another girl in a ballet and we had to smile and perform uh, as we were walking around and all the younger kids were watching and she had said something to me and had said something to the other girl and we were both kind of offended, you know, when you're teenagers you have a bit of attitude. And so we both decided not to smile in front of because we always had to perform every single lesson. As soon as you walked into that room, you had, you had to point your toes and you had to perform even walking in the room. You know, that was the way it was. And, and this day, you know, us naughty teenagers, we pulled face in front of the young ones. And so she threw me off the floor. She said, get off. And I had to go behind the piano, which is like the naughty corner. And she said, do you think I'm going to send you to Paris with an attitude like that? She said, you are never going to Paris. You're going to have a face like that. And I was going, I was crying again as a teenager, which is really embarrassing. And, uh, and she threw me back on the floor and get back on and do it again and do it properly this time. And so we had no choice. We had to smile while we were bawling. Well, I, the other girl, she didn't cry because she was tougher than me. That um, I was bawling and smiling at the same time, which looked oh. ridiculous. I, was literally, <laughs> I wish I could show you, but I was literally just going <laughs> and smiling. <laughs> and then years and years later, I was in Paris and my auntie died very young of cancer, breast cancer. And I thought, I can do this because I've done it at ballet. I'm going to go on and I'm, I'm going to smile because I've already done it. And I had tears rolling down my eyes and I had to keep re retouching my, my eyeliner, but I did it. And I only did it because I'd done it before. You know, so those hard lessons in class really yeah. paid off. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're doing that show for every night. You don't get to, you know, if you're sad, you still have to bring all of it. I have yeah. a question about how this Russian teacher ends up in your neighborhood teaching out of a shed. Did, did she have, and how she knew about, and what was her connection even telling you about Paris? 
Yeah, so that's a very good question. So um, I think that her mother, Mrs. Monda, uh, I think she she was a ballerina and she was trained by the uh, someone, I think, from Ballet Russe. So you know the Ballet Russe wow. yeah. the world and they loved going to Australia. So that's how um, her, so my ballet teacher's mother, Mrs. Monda, she pioneered ballet in that area, in the Hunter Valley in, in New South Wales. And she was the, the one that started it off. And I think she learned from a Russian. So she learned the Russian way, which I, you know, Vaganova way. Um, and then she trained her daughter, but her daughter was, didn't have the physique to be a ballerina. And so she just went straight into teaching. But the connections started right there and then with Mrs. Maunder. And uh, Miss, and Miss Maunder, so my ballet teacher, she would take uh, a group, an entourage, whoever could afford to go with her every year. Every single year she would go to the Bolshoi to watch classes because she had connections at the Bolshoi and at the Kirov. And then she would go to New York and watch the ballet there. She was, it was always a nutcracker. <laughs> and then to, to London, watch the nutcracker. And then she'd also come to Paris, watch the Lido and, the, and, and end up in Switzerland for Christmas. That's what oh. she would do. And so she'd take whoever could afford, she'd take about 26 people every year on these trips. And I think she got it for free, you know, because back then it was like it was a group tour, right? So Yeah. And she'd come back with these stories about, you know, um, her travels. And everyone always had one of those, you know, dolls, those Russian dolls that you can pull out, um, the, the wooden ones. Um, they used to always bring those back from Russia. So Mrs. Maunder's connection um, to Bluebell or my ballet teacher's connection to Bluebell was her mother because her mother knew Patricia Lee's mother. Patricia Lee's mother was in Sydney and Newcastle's two hours drive north of Sydney. And she was, Patricia Lee's mother was a ballet teacher, I think. Uh, so that, so through the Estedfeds, the dance competitions, that's how they knew each other. And that's how I got to Paris was through Patricia Lee. Really? And also and Ms. Wanda then became, you know, the agent for Miss Bluebell in Australia. My ballet teacher. Oh, the agent. I don't think I knew that part. Wow. Because to go Bolshoi to Lido is also, because I've talked to some people, they feel like in the ballet world that that is selling out to go be a showgirl, what they think it is. And so when it's, that these are ballerinas at the Lido, but it feels like sometimes those worlds are so divided. That, that, oh, we, so that we trained, we trained, or she trained us all to be ballerinas. We weren't allowed to get a suntan. We weren't allowed to ride a horse. We weren't allowed to play certain sports. You know, we would, she trained us really to become, we all had to be ballerinas. So obviously being too tall, that was the next um, step. And then she came over to Paris and saw me and she's so proud of me. And, and uh, I, I became principal very quickly. And uh, she came over and she saw me when I was doing principal. So, and then she also put a poster up when I was the 10,000th Bluebell girl. She put that poster up uh, for, for Hennessy Cognac. And uh, then people used to look at, look at that poster, you know, in the ballet studio. <laughs> Were you the first one from your studio to, to dance at the No, Lido? no. The first, one of the first ones was Nicolette Hoyle. So I got to meet her at the Bluebell reunion. That was a dream for me because Mrs. Maunder actually took me to meet her before I went to Paris because she had come back and she'd opened a French perfumery, which is very beautiful. And uh, so I went to meet her. But, you know, when you're young, you, you don't know what kind of questions you have. I had no idea what the Bluebell girls were or what I was getting myself into. So I didn't know what to ask her. So, But old Mrs. Maunda took me along and introduced me to Nicolette. And she was lovely. And she said, here are some connections for modelling. You know, you can 
bring these people I've modelled for them, they love you. Um, and I didn't realise that how valuable that information was until about four years down the track when I was oh. over there. I was like, oh, I'm making the connection now. These All these Bluebell girls are modelling for this lady and Nicolette Hall gave me that information and I didn't connect that because they didn't want to get those girls over there. They didn't want to give me the information for modelling. They were over there, oh, I can't find my phone or, you know, I can't find the number. Oh, like, not wanted to share those contacts. And meanwhile, I had it all along, silly me. <laughs> so I remember you were really young. Weren't you 16 when you got 17, hired? 17. 17. So what was that like that got you, because I don't know where you were, if you'd finished school that made you decide no, to do no, this I, and leave I, home and go all the way to Paris? I actually wanted to be a surfy chick when I grew up because living in Newcastle is a surfing culture, but they didn't let girls surf back then. So I kind oh. of thought, oh, I'll just see what it's like to be in the scene. And I, was, and I left ballet. I left ballet twice, actually. But I'm so glad I did because I realised that that wasn't the life for me. I, I, I think I'll go back. And then I tried to get a job as a checkout chick and I didn't get it. And I was oh. like, oh, I think I better go back to ballet and be a bluebell girl because Miss Melinda said that I could maybe get a job. So that's why I went back. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Were you, you taking jazz or tap? No, yeah, I, quit, right. I quit for like six months. I quit twice. I quit when I was young because I thought I was hopeless. You know, I absolutely thought that really? I was hopeless dancer and never ever going to be a ballerina and never ever going to be good as the other girls that did you know a lot more training than me because I only did a couple of hours a week you know that's all really my parents could afford back then yeah having two girls as well you know going to ballet so I couldn't do everything that the other girls did uh so I just felt like I was hopeless you know and that, that she never corrected me also I was just like she doesn't like me and so you know I quit I quit and the second time I quit was when I was a teenager and tried to get, you know, a job, just any job, really, and didn't get one. I don't know why. <laughs> Thank God I did it, though. And uh, I went back, went back to ballet, and that's when I was doing intermediate and that six months of having time off, although it was good for me mentally, physically, I was way behind the other girls at that point. I was really, you know, struggling to get my legs up and to get back into the fitness. And then um, I decided to, I didn't really want to go to university, so I decided to leave school and ask my parents to do full-time just for six months. And I did ballet in the morning, seven in the morning till seven at night. Oh, my gosh. Every day, every day except for Sunday. And we did basically all the classes on the higher levels. And when we weren't doing that, we we um, had to practice whatever she told us to practice. So she said that I had to practice my triple pirouette on the dawn and on the or on point, otherwise I would not be going to Paris. And so I did. I just was up the back and I just did that over and over and over again and I could nail the ones to the right but I couldn't nail the ones to the left. And I never got one correction or help how to do it by anybody. I just tried and tried and tried. And I remember one time I stopped because I, could, I got two and a half and I stopped and I turned around and I put my hands on my hips and I just like looked at her to say, are you going to give me any instruction on this? <laughs> I want to get to Paris, you know. And uh, she saw me. She saw me give her the daggers. And I thought, oh, my parents are paying for this. You know, that's what I was thinking. And then I realised all the years later it wasn't about the triple pirouette. It was about proving to her how bad I wanted to go to Paris before she gave me, you know, the connection to do it. Really? Otherwise, if I hadn't have tried hard, she would not have ever done it. And then when I was in class one day, I met, actually, I have to tell you, I met Patricia Lee. So Mrs. Maunder, the older lady, 
she took me down in the train to meet Patricia Lee because Patricia Lee was back from Las Vegas from the MGM. And uh, she thought this is time to take, you know, Karina down. So I went down with her on the train and we knocked on the door and this the door opened and there was this goddess, this tall Barbie doll, beautiful person that I had never seen anyone like that in my life before. And she was so warm and friendly, smiling and made us feel at home. Come in, have a cup of tea and a chalky biggie. And because she knew my ballet teacher's reputation, I took my ballet shoes, my character shoes, my jazz shoes, you know, my point shoes. And I thought, what am I going to dance in here? It's just like a little kind of unit, you know, where her mum lived. And I did see a picture of Patricia Lee up on the mantel. And I saw a showgirl, you know, and she was doing this beautiful pose. And I just thought, oh, what's that? She looked like an exotic bird, you know, so beautiful. And all she said was, oh, let Miss Glibber know there's a beautiful girl coming over for the new show. And that was it. I didn't dance. Really? Really? No. And I The reputation from your teacher? Yes. Wow. I hadn't done anything. And so we went back home went back to full-time ballet and I remember I was at the bar and Mr. Maunder walked in. He uh, used to bring, because my teacher never got up from the table, she was always work, work, work. So he brought he brought the tray in of sandwiches for lunch and there was a letter on top and I just knew that was a letter from Miss Bluebell. I knew it. I don't know how, but I just knew it. Wow. So I was all excited. I was at the bar, I was smiling and performing and she opened up the letter and I was waiting for her to say something. She said nothing. She put the, back, the letter back in the envelope, closed it, put it aside, and continued class. Didn't say a word. But I knew I, I knew that it was from her because Mr. Monden never looked at the girls when he walked in. He had his head down. He had a hunchback. He put the tray down. He turned and he'd walk out. And he would never look at the girls, ever. But this day, he walked in. He looked at me. He oh put my the God. down, he turned, he looked at me again and he walked out. And that's why I knew that letter was from her. And I went home oh. to mum and I said, Mom, I think the letter arrived from Miss Bluebell, but Miss Monda didn't say anything. And so my mum was very naughty. She went ahead and booked a ticket. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my gosh, I'm loving this story so much. Wow. She took a ticket to Paris and I didn't know she'd done that. And I was having my frozen orange because we weren't allowed to eat very much. So I was having my frozen orange for lunch. And I heard Mrs. Monda come, Miss Monda come out and slam the door and she came screaming up to me and who do you think you are? Your mother's booked you a ticket to Paris and I've never given you the permission to go. Who did she think she is? <gasps> Whoa. Would you think she and would not have told you just to keep you there? Maybe Does she want to because we wanted me to be really, really good and you know, keep keep giving the money, I suppose. Right. Yeah. That, wow. but, Maybe, you know, maybe she didn't think I was ready. I was only 17. Uh, but my mother took a very big giant leap there and she, she got, I got into so much trouble and then I went home and I taught my mum off because I got into so much trouble. How, how dare you even tell me and all this kind of stuff. But she did the right thing, my mum, and off I went. What did your mom know of that life? Did she know about the bluebells or, or just that it was something you wanted for her to be that supportive? I, I just remember I had to convince my father because he really wanted me to go to university and he didn't want me to leave home and he actually cried. I, and mm. I, knew when, I knew when I sat down and had the meeting with my mum and dad about going to Paris, um, I guess that was before she bought the ticket, I just said, look, I, I don't like going to school and I don't know what I want to be and I love dancing and 
and I want to go. I was ready. I, I was ready. I was. I felt like I was old enough and wise enough to, to to be ready to go. And I had to convince my father. And he sat there and he cried. And he never cried, never ever, because mm-hmm. he knew that that was it. And I was going to go. And off I went. Yeah. Did they go with you, or did you fly no. by yourself? No, no. I yeah. actually flew with another girl who's from the same ballet school. When we when we went together, and she was only sixteen. Oh my gosh! It's now that you're now that you're a mom. Isn't it interesting to think of like Savannah at sixteen, just taking off and going to Paris? Like I know she was young when she went, but being a mom, I hear these stories different. And you haven't heard yet, but coming up, Linda Croft's uh, interview that her mom took her to Paris, and and then she was kind of peeking through the the um, little shade. And then when Pierre asked him to take their top off, they closed it. And she said her mom was like trying to like, <laughs> it's, like it's the sweetest story, but like her mom was happy for her. But then when she got the job and she walks in and she's embraced by this beautiful community and her mom goes home by herself. Like how as a, it made me yes. feel it as a parent, what our parents went through. Like I moved to Vegas and they didn't know much about Vegas, but here I am, I'm going to leave and who knows if I'm going to be safe Very and bright. who's going to look out for you. So I think it's interesting to hear our stories with a mother heart of going, wow, they must've believed, she must've believed in you that you could do this and that you also probably a good character that you're not going to just go crazy in Paris or be taken advantage of the reputation of of my teacher as well, you know, the the guidance and the connections. And uh, I don't think my mom really, I don't, I haven't asked her actually whether she knew about the Bluebell girls, but she just uh, knew I'd work very hard for it. and, And she wanted to give me the benefit of the doubt, I suppose. And she was going to come over, so she did come over six weeks later just to check on me and, and she saw I was fine. I actually didn't want her around because we're in the middle of rehearsals, you know. I'm like, Mom, just go away. We're fine. And, and so she took the Orange Express and did a trip around Europe instead because she's a, she loved travelling, my mom. So she said, okay, see you later then. And she off you know, right. well, she <laughs> You're fine. You're safe. You're taken care of. Yeah, so yeah. When did your ballet teacher come to see you in the show? Uh, I probably because I went principal within six months so I know I was doing principal I'm pretty sure I was so within the six months well you know at the Christmas time like she would have come over during the Christmas time so that might have been a year actually into it yeah did she give you that praise uh willingly or did it oh, was that hard for her to like give me that tell praise. You? oh my god because Miss because Miss Maunder was um Miss Bluebell's agent and so Miss Bluebell wined and dined her, of course, and then she watched the first show because usually people just watch the second show. She watched the first show. And then we waited in the quick change, one of the quick change lodges on the stage left amongst the feathers and uh, Miss Bluebell came through with my ballet teacher and we were just waiting there and petrified, absolutely petrified because, you know, our teacher just did that to us. And she... The tech ballet teacher was behind. She's a lot taller than Miss Miss Bluebell. She came came behind with this beaming smile, <laughs> and she said, "Oh my goodness, you were really, you know, performing and had a beautiful smile and something like that. I can't remember exactly, but something to that effect." And and uh, yeah, it was uh, oh, kind of to finally get this, so yeah. in front of Miss Bluebell uh, in front of the other girl. Um, oh. You know, it was a little bit like, oh, stop talking, you know, <laughs> stop, stop, talking. don't need to say that. Um, but yeah, of course, I was thrilled inside. That just makes me go back to your first thing when she told you that it was beautiful and you're smiling and then to have, because it's interesting, I'm wondering if part of her reluctance to have you go too soon was like, 
you're representing her as a teacher in front of Miss Bluebell now that she's an agent. So like, make sure you're really, really ready. So that, that you yeah. were ready. So that must have like, okay, if I'm putting these dancers out there, I want Miss Bluebell to know that I did a good yes, job. Yes, it's probably like a relief you think you got to me. That you yeah, actually lived, lived okay. up to it. Wow. Yeah. So what was that like Very coming good. in at 17 into a UK? Did you come into a show that was already in existence or at the beginning so of a show? it was the end of Ale Lido and the MGM fire had happened. And yeah. so I didn't know anything about any of this. All I knew was that I got to this apartment. I had a beautiful um, English girl who was my dad's captain collect us at the airport, take us into our own apartment, which is right near the Arc de Triomphe. Oh. And, and I got a culture shock immediately. And although now I know that is a beautiful area and it was a beautiful apartment, <laughs> to me it's not what I was expecting. I was expecting something like, you know, in America that was big, very grand and everything, you know, latest fashion or whatever. Right. All it was was a single bed with uh, the wire sticking out through the hay. That's what it felt like, the straw. <laughs> and there, were, there was nothing there. And my mum insisted that I took bed sheet, you know, bed um, linen. And I said, no, they'll have all that there, but they didn't. So luckily... Luckily, we had some sheets to put over the straw and the, the springs. Oh and it was the middle of winter, this is January, and uh, they do have central heat in Paris, but it was cold. And so we, so Therese and I, we, did, we didn't actually get on very well at ballet. We had to sleep head to toe in a single bed with, with no cups or sauces or nothing and a big culture shock. And I went to have a bath, and when I pulled the plug out of the bath, all this, like, furry, hairball-y stuff, like, went popped out of the hole like, and, you know the hole that's like underneath on the, on the top of the bar and I was like ah jumped out of that I was like this is horrible and when I had a moment to myself I, I rang my mum and dad and uh, they said how is it and I've been crying my eyes out because it was just like culture shock country not speaking the language nothing in the apartment oh and uh and I said, oh, no, it's really nice. And I wasn't going to tell them how I was feeling. And then Ivor Jones came down because he lived in that building and he was the dance captain of the boys at the time from South Africa. And he opened the door. He was really tall too. Oh, my God, tall, blonde and gorgeous. And he said, hi, my name's Ivor. Is there anything you need? You know, I'm just upstairs. You know, just come and knock and all of that. So he was very, very kind. And he wasn't in the next show. He wasn't hired for that next show. So um, they, they were my kind of first encounters. And so then that night after I just arrived, I was invited to Miss Bluebell's apartment to meet yeah. her. And who was there? Patricia Lee, Don Arden, Winston, Rich Rizzo. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And, I'm... and the, I just remember Don was at the piano and I think they may have been drinking. What? <laughs> I didn't bad. know much about that back then. And I just remember Patricia was so kind and Miss Bluebell was so kind and Don was a really interesting person and I had no idea who they were. And then I got to rehearsals the next day and I thought, oh, my God, that's the director, the choreographer, <laughs> the boss. That's the whole team right there. Wow. drinking champagne with them the night before. I had no idea who they were. Wow. And so when I arrived, uh, as I said, there were a lot of Americans there because Don had brought um, his, you know, part of, Part of his people that were out of work, he brought them over to start uh, Coco Rico. And back then it was the 70s, you know, so it was all like fluoro and, and G-strings over the top of it, you know, and the lycra yeah. pants. And, and all I had was my black leotard. I'd never even seen a coloured leotard in my life before. I didn't know they existed, let alone wow. about gay people existing. And right. uh, and so then Donard said, okay, everybody, we're going to start warm up. So everybody on stage. 
And so back then, you know, everyone was smoking in the auditorium and stuff. And I just ran up onto stage with my demi points and did a big run forward and stand still, ready, just like I've been taught at ballet. And everybody's just like, there's that ballet bun heading up on the stage. <laughs> they were taking their time, oh. they were finishing their drinks, putting their cigarettes out. And there I was smiling and standing in first position. Oh my gosh, you're fresh faced and innocent. It's sweet. You know what, Karina, you and I worked at this. I was in Reno and Hello Hollywood. Hello, right around the time of the fire. I was oh. in the show one or two months where the fire happened. And some of those people came to our show and then the other ones went to Paris. So we were working at the same time with some of the same people. This is the more interviews I do, the more I find out or overlap. But I didn't realize that we were working at the same time for Don Arden and Miss Bluebell. Yeah, the, the, the leads were, the lead boys were American and they're fantastic. Don Kleinerlein and, uh, oh my God, I can't remember all the names, but they, they went back. They, uh, some of them went back and some of them didn't go back. But I think that's where Don saw me, my training, you know, yeah. old, old school training. And, I, and, you know, when you're waiting, you know, behind the scenes or whatever, when you're rehearsing, uh, you're hearing all these stories, really bad stories about how mean Don Arden is. And I was a bit scared, but I thought, well, I'm kind of used to that. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, and so I just connected with Don immediately. He was just like my ballet teacher, but kind of funnier. And I love I loved every time he said something, I was like laughing and um yeah, and I just we just really liked each other. I really liked it. I bet he loved you of getting up on the stage ready to go. I bet that that won him over to you right away of just seeing someone eager on the stage, like I'm here to work and I'm so excited. I I have a feeling that would have just swayed him to love you right from the start. And then even in rehearsals, when my mum was actually watching up the back, uh, he pulled me and the other girl from my ballet school out and um, Evelyn, who was from America, and we were standing in the middle of the stage in front of the whole company. And I was thinking, oh, what have I done wrong? I think I've done everything right. And then he said, I just want to pull you three, three forward because uh, you are always working 100%. You're always giving it. And he said, and the rest of you need to pick up your act yeah (laughs) (laughs) something like that and I was just going oh my god and now everyone's gonna hate me right now thank you very much for that but you know I didn't know any better that's just what how I was trained yeah we had to give 100% every class and smile and perform whether you were rehearsals or not you know yeah I I didn't know any better and thanks thanks to her for that I'm glad that you didn't know better because that's like when I was so eager to be young in the show and you would see dancers who were a little bit jaded who would either you know, like, eh, like complain or, or you'd watch them on stage, not giving the full energy. I'm like, we're so lucky to have this job. And like, some of them are like, yeah, you know, I've been doing like, they just kind of were over it. And I'm like, I tried to stay away from that because I was so happy to be there. So I'd find those people that were eagerly excited or wanted to take class in between shows or go take class in the daytime, because it depends on who you get sucked into the circle of, if you could get lazy even if it's not your character, if you're not around people. Absolutely. People can really kind of bring you down for their kind of vortex if you let them. And I've I've noticed that myself a few times. And then I look back and think, oh, I shouldn't shouldn't have let that happen. Um, But, you know, when you've been trained at such a high standard, uh, you've got to keep that standard because I worked really hard to get there. I physically worked very, very hard. And my parents paid for me to do that. And so my dad said to me before I left, you know, when you go to another country, you become an ambassador for that country. 
So that that was a thing that that really stuck with me. So I wanted to be an Australian, a hardworking Australian, just like my ballet teacher trained us, and that's all I knew. And whatever else happened around me, I didn't care because I was in a foreign country and I had to do what I knew, and that was dance and dance well and work hard, work really, really hard. And then I starved, you know, for three days because I didn't have any money because I had nothing in the apartment. So I blew $2,000 that my parents gave me on cups and sauces and making the apartment pretty <laughs> and just having a few comforts and uh, and then everyone would go off, you know, in the, in the, in the um, breaks and have something to eat and I, I had no food. I actually ran out of money for food and I didn't want to tell anyone because it's so embarrassing. And so I starved for about three days. <laughs> Oh, see, that's the part none of us don't talk about. I did a show where I didn't have any money. I didn't realize you, you don't get a check until like after two weeks. And, and we were stealing rolls like from the kitchen. Like, so, but nobody talks about that part. Like, well, how do you set up an apartment? Or if you don't have sheets and saucers, like it's when you're a young person, you're thrown into this adult world. Like, how do I pay the deposit for my phone and my electricity? And and you're you're doing adult money. Given all that type of money, I've never been given money like that before, you know. But right. I wasn't—I wasn't going in my in my bank yet, you know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, just just all the hard lessons, you know, of, of being in a foreign country and and not being really money wise and and also people wise. I mean, my parents never said a bad word about anyone at home, so I had no idea about people being nasty and bitchy and backstabbing and anything like that. Um, oh. So I was very naive. 17 year old in that way but a very hard worker and just did what I was told to do you know so it's very much a bit of a loner in the beginning yeah especially when I went back as principal that was hard I I almost left actually because it was hard it was a lot of catchiness to be honest I want to talk about that a little bit because also like you became principal very quickly Mm. I had another question that had to do with that um I went out because when you yeah. And I think there's people that want those or some people like, yeah, they got it. Great. But there's some people that's their whole mission is to become principal. So if somebody steps out, oh, what they think is stepping over them or get there sooner, and then you have to be in the dressing room together. I think that's a, a part yeah, that, that was really, really gotta hard. be so, hard. You know, credit, credit to the other girls, because I, I saw when I, when I actually go back to when I first saw the show after um, arriving in Paris, um, you know, that we went to see the show and uh I was sitting in the fishbowl with Miss Bluebell and I saw, I knew the show was about to start because the orchestra, the band stopped. And then I saw this blue feather pop out of the bubble curtain right up high. And I was just like, oh, I saw a feather. Oh, oh my God, I saw a feather before the show. How exciting. And then the show, the bubble curtain opened, whoosh, bang, full company on stage, Rhapsody in Blue. Oh. I mean, what a shock to see that. I just didn't know where to look. The costumes are amazing. The principal girl was stunning. She had red hair, obviously ballet trained. And I just I just was just like, am I going to be doing this? Oh, my God. Wow. I think I just stepped into a different world, a different movie. You know, it's incredible. And then I ended up, you know, obviously the girls that had been principal before um, were understudying in the next show. Uh, but basically they had four principal girls in that show and they were you basically you worked a month and then you had four days off so I became principal swing unbeknownst to me they took me from the chorus straight up to um, cover uh, Elisa Scaroni I recognize that name uh, yeah Elisa Scaroni she was the principal and so and I was only just really settling into my little bluebell role 
and also I was very small. I was, I was in Group C. I was one of the small ones. And Pierre used to always try and catch me topless in the dressing room because I wasn't used to the topless nudity thing, you know, and the boys used to come down <laughs> downstairs all the time in their little, you know, yeah. things. And I used to think it was all a little bit shocking, you know. So I had a pink, uh, I had a pink uh, dressing gown and I used to cover myself up like this. And every night Pierre used to come down and try and catch me at just before I put my costume on to see my boobs, you know, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> see what I was like and then it was like a cat and mouse game for six months and then he caught me he came down at a different time and he caught me just getting dressed and then that night I went up and I was asked to to be principal swing really yeah. so instead of saying let us see your breasts we know no, they didn't principal. <laughs> that is so funny so how did that put you in a word were you ready to take it or were you kind of concerned well, I didn't about think what I could do it I didn't yeah. think I could do it. I was only just turning 18 and I'd only just settled in. And I was very yeah. happy with my, my place as a covered bluebell. Uh, but you don't say no to things like that, right? That's just a whole new level that you just, you know, that you've worked your butt off at ballet. Everything always goes back to ballet, right? You've worked your butt off to get there and now you're yeah. working your butt and you don't say no to things like that. And so I said yes. And then I remember my opening night doing, Elisa had really good roles. She had really good places. And uh, I just remember everybody watching me, everyone watching me from anywhere up in the oh, man. spotlights and the lighting booths on the sides. And I felt like they were waiting for me to fail. That's what I felt like. Yeah. And I was very on my own, very alone. Um, and it, it was really hard. And all I did was just stick to what the training was and do your best and perform yeah. and just take it to a, try to take it to a different new level. Even though you know you're on stage and in a different environment and topless for the first time, being topless. So yeah, and then I'd say to the girls, "Where does this go?" And then it goes there, and they throw it, and I'd be like, "Oh, thank you very much." They talk, you know, French behind my back and stuff, and I'd be like, "Oh, this is really hard." So if I didn't have Guna Guna as my friend at that time, I think I probably maybe could have cracked a little bit and left, but he 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 was my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Which later became your husband, right? Yeah. yeah. How did that happen? How did, was that just like a friendship that turned into Well, he actually as- saw me in the bank on my, on my first day in Paris with Madame Jacqueline, who did all the, um, uh, you know, the working permits and open bank accounts and did all the admin, took the girls personally. And he, he saw me in the bank with her, but he thought I was at the Moulin Rouge. He didn't realise that the Lido girls had arrived and he was in the current show, Ali Lido as the Ice Act. So um, he, he saw me in the bank and, and then he said he fell in love and yeah. uh, at first sight, but I didn't see him obviously. And then, but I'd seen him in the show and I wrote to my parents and I said, oh my goodness, you should see the ice skaters. They're amazing what they do because they were, they were incredibly fast and an incredible act. And I'd written to my mum saying, you know, I've never seen anything like this, even on the television and all this kind of stuff, you know. And then, uh, then he went to Germany for a holiday, came came back and saw me on the stage uh and then he thought oh she's I don't have to be a backstage Johnny she's working at the same theater so yeah he used to come and talk to me and and give me chocolate bars and stuff (laughs) I think who's this chocolate bar from and that's when I was like starving you know (laughs) (laughs) yes I'll marry you if you feed me like oh okay who's this man (laughs) Wow. Did you get Even any? That, I didn't want to get into a relationship because, you know. Yeah, I was, well, that's, that's a lot. 
did you did you have anybody that was kind of cheering you on because I even I'm wondering your mindset if it was they're waiting for you to fail because it sounds like just having the scrutiny that you had growing up in the ballet world but finally getting the positive but but there is that truth that a lot of people are waiting for you to fail if they want to know that they think they're better than you and the egos but there are some people that may have been cheering you on but I don't know if they let you know that uh, no I didn't feel I you didn't feel that feel very alone and um I kind of you know attacked a little bit but I just kept to myself and Gunnar was my friend and because of Gunnar being my friend I was friends with the axe oh interesting yeah. I was I I, I I socialized with the axe I didn't socialize with the girls um so and that that was nice you know and Pierre was part of that that group you know we go to the parties and you know it was wonderful to be part of um you know the outside of the girls thing you know as part of the attraction yeah. the acts in the show who were amazing people and um yeah yeah but then after doing a month of elisa then they said oh you're not going back down into the line and now you're going to learn the other principal girls role and i said but i really like my spot and they said no once you go up through you don't go back you don't go back oh. to doing um chorus no. So then I said, well, what's my position? And they said, oh, you'll be swing. You'll be doing all the principal girls. So you'll now be the principal swing. And I thought I could never do that in a million years because I just learned my role as a bluebell covered. Then I'd learned Elisa's, which was, you know, challenging. It's different, different type of show when you're a principal. And uh, then learning the others. And then, as I said, there was four days off. So during the four days of my days off, I'd go away, obviously, but there were sometimes there'd be the full four principal girls in the show and I'd be spare. So then I said, what do I do now? I just sit in the dressing room, you know, and they said, oh, no, just give everyone a number off. And so I love that. So oh, I did all wow. that. I, I said, what number do you want off? I'll do it. And obviously I'll pick costumes that fit me. And I always got the finale off so I could get in the shower first. <laughs> and I used to do like 12 people in one show. And then if I was doing someone and then all of a sudden someone had an accident you know like the principal got an accident Pierre said quick now you have to do this girl and I go okay and so I never did the same place you know um I I enjoyed doing being swing and they saw that in me I didn't see that in me but they saw that in me and uh, I loved it I absolutely loved it I'm such in such awe of swings because I've heard like the shows we were in, we, the show was open seven nights a week, but we each had a night off. So there was a swing that went in for the eight girls, seven, I guess there were six girls, but then they only, they did the same track, but then I'm hearing other people that were doing different tracks or like to swing all the swing, like your brain has to really be able to hold all that and switch it up. And that, that blows my mind. And then I talked to Lori Matt. Matthews, is that right? Kate Matthews, it, that swung between the Mulan and the Lido. Yes, isn't that was, amazing that they I did can't, now? I can't That's imagine classic. keeping all that straight. I would never have let that happen in her day. She was like, no, oh. little girls or nothing, you know. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I think it's wonderful. Tribute, tribute to, you know, hat off to uh, the, the Jane and Janet that they that they let people do that. I think that's yeah, magnificent. So did you move into the principal dressing room or did you, because yes. where does that leave you as part of the cast if you're kind of that in-between? Well, well um, I, I, when I was doing principal, I was in the principal dressing room and then I had a room near the axe downstairs in the Bluebells level uh, and that was with uh, Susie Rockliffe who taught me how to be swing. She was very organised English girl. She had everything written down, all the patterns, so I learned how to do all that and write it all down. 
Um, but, but I had it all in my head, you know, because of the ballet yeah. training. It was all just easy for me up in the head. Once you knew the patterns, you sat on the other leg and, and you just knew what the, you know, what the tracks were, as you say. Um, so I would sit down there. I would sit down there when I was not doing principal. But obviously all the costumes are upstairs when you're doing principal, so you just go and sit up there. And then I, then I eventually, after I think five years of being swing, I kind of decided, oh, Michelle came, she went over my head. Jelana came in, went over my head, did principal full time. And oh, then really? I, and I lost a lot of weight because I was doing a lot of modelling. I was modelling all day and dancing all night. And, and, you know, your body changes when you work so hard. And, um, yeah, so I was just like, okay, these girls are going over my head and I'm still swinging. And I started to feel a little bit like used a bit. Yeah. And also probably yeah. starting to get a bit, you know, like then starting to just basically burn out mainly because of the modelling, to be honest, not dancing. It was the modelling. Seven in the morning, you know, dancing seven, oh, man. seven in the morning till, you know, dancing till three o'clock in the morning and having a couple hours sleep. And I'd do that. Oh, my months on end you know wow. <laughs> when you're young but as I got older it started to take its toll a little bit and I never told anybody what I did I kept it all to myself because we weren't supposed to do that but um uh yeah so then I said to Pierre oh he called me up on my day off and he said will you come in such and such hasn't turned up and I said no and he said no you never say no why are you saying no I said well to be honest you know shell has gone over my head and Jelana's gone over my head and I never was one of those people to complain don't get me wrong there but I said, yeah, I would have liked to have at least been asked, you know. I've been doing this a lot. Good for time. you. And then he decided, he said, okay, if that's what you want, I'll give you principal full time. And so then we all sat up in the principal's room together. And then I got to do the panache sign. That was my, my number. So, yeah. Wow. So then I was full-time principal. Did that but feel I, like you had a place that, more? Uh, well, I have to tell you, I actually got more money than the principal girls because of being swing, the way the way the loading works. So oh, I got really? the wage on top, I got the, the swing wage. And so, you know, I didn't didn't have anything to complain about really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. How long did, okay, so I have a, too many questions. When you became the 10,000th blue belt, was that when you were hired? So when you, there was a, when you became the 10,000th 10, blue belt, was that right away when you were hired? Did they make oh, a big no. deal of it? No, that came that came later. That came that came later. So did they finally count to figure out that's where you were? Like, did you know Ms. that? Was... Did yeah. She okay. She so that was way after you're in the show. Yeah, so can you talk so about it was that? In that was in Panache. So I did Coco Rico for four years, and then I did Panache. Um. So she well, she just chose me. I, I think what happened. I'm not sure. What happened first or second? I'm not sure. Miss Bluebell asked me to do um, the lead in the Hennessy Cognac ad. And also she said that I was the 10,000th Bluebell girl and that there would be publicity. So she always used me for publicity. Uh, not that I spoke French very well. Uh, and so there was a lot of publicity at that time for the 10,000th Bluebell girl. I was interviewed on television. I danced on television. I was in all the papers, magazines uh yeah it was um it was a big thing it was a big thing and I was very honored to be chosen as a 10,000 wow that's huge we don't know how many I don't know how many like if Savannah like I wonder how far between there because oh Jeremy probably knows he probably I want to know that how many that came up to maybe 15 or 17,000 I'm not sure but you know 
Miss Bluebell was lovely. I mean, she really knew people well and I was very honoured that she asked me to do that and I was very comfortable at that time in my role and uh, and I really enjoyed it, you know. That was funny though because when they heard me speaking French, it was at the old Lido. They were doing um, a television show called The, the Winners, uh, Les Vainqueurs, it's called, and uh, that's when... Um, that's when I was dancing and I was going to be interviewed and he heard me speaking French and he said, oh, can we do it in French? And I said, only if you give me the um, questions beforehand so I can practice, please. But he was so nervous because it was live TV when it got to the questioning and Miss Blueber was by my side and he said uh, in, Fran in English, it turned out, he said, so you're, there's been 9,900, this is in French, mind you, 9,999 people before you, well, already I'm thinking, what's that mean? And uh, he said, and now you're the 10,000th. And uh, so how does that feel? He said, because apparently Miss Bluebell is an horse, uh, horse meaning a bear. And I was just like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, it didn't sound good. And I just looked over at Miss Bluebell. I've got it all on video, by the way. And I said, I'd love to see this. I said, what is an horse, Miss Bluebell? And uh, she just laughed. And I thought, well, that's not helpful. <laughs> And then I look back at, and this is all live, and I look like an idiot. And then I look back at the, um, the, the big star that, you know, of, te of television that was asking me this question, and he was sweating like a pig, you know, because he was so nervous. And he said, an horse, you know, he's like a kind of a bear. And I said, oh, no, 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 elle est très gentille. I said, she's very nice. Oh. And then he decided wow. to forget about asking me any more questions. I just said it was my, my ballet teacher that got me to Paris and met Miss Bluebell, and that was it, that, that I knew how to say that in French. And that was oh it. <laughs> if you have that on video, I would love to share it when I this comes have, out. I have it on video. That's, oh, that's so good. So yeah. you went to... And it was at the old Lido the... that they filmed it, which was really? great. Stage I would love to video. see that because when I went for the reunion, a couple of the girls that... I don't know if you know Kate Mayo and Miriam... I can't remember her maiden name. They they were telling me where the old one was. And I, I thought, because I know like Herma Voss said she was the first one to step foot on the new one. But I go, I want to see pictures of the old one now that I've seen the new, just to see oh, well, the I've difference between them. I, can show you. I would love to see that. It was like the inside of a pirate ship. It was fascinating. Really? You know, you know, you go to the Moulin Rouge musical now and you feel like, you know, you're part of something because it's all surrounding and around you. You know, the, the yeah. detail is incredible. And that's, and the leader was like that, but heaps more you know everywhere you look there was something amazing wow. you know it was like wow. inside of a pirate ship you know a fancy was it all ship. red because then the new one was all blue like i feel like the, um, there was something with the color scheme changing too that was yeah. significant i don't know there was so many colors really um i'll show you i'll show you photographs and i'll have a look because i've got it on the lido book uh i've got quite a few lido books there i don't know if you know them all but i'll have to show them to you i've been giving them over over the time i'm i'm collecting all these so i'm as many as i can get my mm -hmm. hand i'm still waiting for the new one because i just want to see the pictures and i know you're in that book and that must yes. have been an honor yes i'm in that book too yes did I, they I interview you on the front <laughs> oh my gosh okay i just keep waiting and they're not getting it in america I go, it was going to cost me more than the book just to ship it so oh. I told Jeremy, I asked, he goes, I'll, I'll just buy it in Paris. He goes, yeah, just wait till you get here. Cause I'm so excited to see it. The photos are stunning. So is it kind of a picture book? And then is there stories with oh, each one? Yes, but it's so easy to read. It's like a coffee table book, you know, but the information that's being gathered there is very easy to read and correlates with the photographs, kind of more like a magazine in a way. It's, it's beautifully done and very easy to read. No, I, I went through it like three times very easily. Whereas the um, the other leader books, they're in French, 
And yeah. there's a lot of information there, obviously, I don't understand. And then I think some of it's translated into English. So you've got, you know, the two languages there. Uh, but this new book is, uh, in, they've got it in English and it's, it's great. I learned I'm so much so more about the Lido from reading that book. I think all of us, like here, this is years later, and we're finally learning about this wonderful thing mm. we were part of that we had no idea. And so now it makes me even more grateful for, for getting to do that. Yeah. So you got, what was the thing with DeVille? Was that part of the... Oh, um, so that was the Hennessy Cognac ad. So I was chosen to be um, the Hennessy Cognac girl. And they did, uh, it was for Hong Kong. And so in Hong Kong, in the movies, you know, before the film, they had an ad of, of Hennessy Cognac. And they did, and I was the lead girl in that one. It was filmed at the Lido by a famous uh, photographer um, and uh, videographer. And they did six months of mine and six months of Tanya's. So Tanya was the principal girl in Alilido and Coco Rico and Panache. She was from the Royal Ballet. So they played mine for six months and Tanya's for six months and mine for six months and Tanya's for six months. And it was also on the television in Hong Kong only, exclusively for Hong Kong. And because it was so successful, they invited uh, Miss Bluebell and Tanya and I to come over for more publicity. So uh, what they what the cognac people thought would be nice if they invited us down to the chateau of cognac uh, to learn a, a bit more about how the cognac's made and be part of it because we were representing them. So we went down. Tanya, uh, and Tanya had left, I think, and gone to America. I think at that time to dance. So she, uh, Miss Bluebell, chose Michelle and I to go together because we were friends. And we went down with Miss Bluebell, and we stayed in the chateau of for the visitors. Not the where they lived, but on the property there was a small visitors kind of wow chateauette or something. I don't know what you call it. And uh, I didn't know until I met Bernard de Giron, who was the director of Hennessy Cognac. I didn't know uh, much about it, obviously. And then I found out through him. He was a lovely man, elderly man. I found out that Hennessy Cognac owned uh, Christian Dior. They owned Moet and Chandon Champagne. They owned Hennessy Cognac. So they're a company, a big company. And so uh, he, he invited us there for the weekend. He showed us all around Cognac. Uh, we were drinking, you know, barrels from a barrel from 1879 or something. Uh, so wow. um, he, you know, he showed us around. And then we obviously, we, we stayed there for two nights. And he was so interested in Miss Bluebell, he asked her question after question after question. So Michelle and I just sat there and listened the whole time because it was fascinating to listen to these two people talk. Uh, and I learned a lot about Miss Bluebell at that time. And as I was saying to you with Michelle was uh, in the bathroom of the, the bedrooms where we were staying, there was all every product you can imagine of Kristen Dior. And so when I saw that, I said to Michelle, don't you bother me. At least now, I'm going to go in the bath. I'm going to try every single product. I said, I'm just going to put it all in my bag, but I better not do that because they'll notice because it's only us staying here. And she's like, hang on, let me check your room and my room. Oh, yeah, no, I like my room better. You stay in there because it was just like staying in a castle, you know. It's just beautiful. Oh, my gosh. And then they said, you know, come down at, you know, 6 p.m. and be by the fire and we'll have cocktails. And then at 7 p.m. we'll have dinner. And they had a, they had a um, chef and a butler and a lovely lady and they lived there and they, they, they did everything organic, like they made it all themselves and they had a big greenhouse where they, they grew their vegetables and everything and it was the best food I'd ever eaten in my life and probably will ever eat in my life. And 
we ate our we, we, we watched because we didn't know really what to do at the table because there's so many glasses and, <laughs> and, balls and things and, and it's just like what are you gonna do I said just watch them when they pick up their fork we'll pick up the same fork okay so let's just watch them first <laughs> so, oh I love this so it was a lovely introduction really into that kind of world and then we flew back in a private jet that's amazing and I got to sit in the front uh arriving in Paris at uh, Orly airport in a private jet and I had so much fun doing that I was so happy to be asked to to sit in the front with the captain you know (laughs) it was wonderful and then we went to Hong Kong first class with Air France so we flew first class we got picked up uh and we had a gold limousine each well I had a Rolls Royce but mine didn't work (laughs) and so Mr Hennessy was furious so um we stayed in a suite and we did publicity and we were we had chauffeurs and we had uh, bodyguards. People thought it was Miss America or something. I'm like, no, it's not Miss America. <laughs> um, and then Channel 10 invited um, us to continue out for the Melbourne Cup horse races. And so we went with Miss Bluebell to the Melbourne Cup and we went around with Miss Melbourne Cup in an open-top Rolls Royce and, you know, we, we met all the Sydney, well, all the Melbourne um, stars uh, down there, which we didn't sing on the television, obviously. And then they flew my sister down in a private jet for an audition with another girl from the ballet school. I knew that she was part of, they flew her in. They flew her in because it was great publicity, you know. For, right. Yeah, so uh, they flew my sister down. They, they found out that my sister was thinking of working in Paris and she was only 16 at the time. And so they, they flew her down uh, for Melbourne Cup from Newcastle to Melbourne. And I got to see my sister. And then uh, while we were sitting in the foyer of this very luxurious hotel in Melbourne, I saw this lady, beautiful lady, walk past a couple of times and she came over and she said, Miss Bluebell, is that you? And she said, yes. And she said, do you remember me? I worked with you in 1960-something. And Miss Bluebell didn't remember. (laughs) And she just devastated the poor lady. I don't know. She just said, oh, it's so lovely to see you again and walked away, you know. I thought, oh, the poor lady. Because, you know, she's had so many... So many deaths oh, yeah. at that time, 10,000. And she was a I, beautiful, tall lady. I wonder who that was. I remember Marissa telling, when I interviewed her, about her coming to see you all dressed up. She described the outfit that you had on. You were we were wearing so Christian Dior. That we, was we, it. Yeah, yeah saying, we actually went amazing. to Christian Dior um, on Avenue Montaigne, and they selected three, three outfits, so two day wear and one cocktail. And we had to wear those. So it was very much like the lifestyles of the rich and famous. You know, we had to have the full makeup on for lunch and for dinner, different outfit, cocktail, you know, cocktail dress. And we wore that, you know, every day because it was Christian Dior. And it had to all go back, of course, you know, because it's what couture. It was high fashion. Uh, and, you know, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. But, you know, after after a week, I was just going, oh, this is really hard work. You know, do the hair and <laughs> makeup on all day. And, oh. and then another week, you know, in, in uh, Melbourne, uh, that was a very interesting, very different kind of culture shock from Hong Kong to, to Australia. Um, but it was great to be at the Melbourne Cup and be part of all of that because it's one of the most famous race horse days, gambling days in Australia. It's a huge thing. And I met so many amazing people there, you know, uh, from prime ministers to TV personalities and goodness knows who. Uh, and then Miss Bluebell flew back uh, to Paris and then I got to see my parents for 10 days. And after after basically putting the full makeup on and being on show and living that, you know, beautiful life, uh, I got kind of a bit tired of it after two weeks. <laughs> I 
just wanted to go back and get back to earth again, you know, and go on yeah. my granddad's farm and pick potatoes and, and just I don't have to put makeup on. But I'll tell you a funny story. When I got home, my dad picked me up and he drove me up the driveway and then usually I'd just jump out and I was sitting in the car and he was taking my bags into the house and they were so happy to have me home. And then he turned around and he said, what are you doing? Because I was still sitting in the car. And I said, I'm waiting for you to open the door. He said, open your own bloody door. <laughs> hey, oh, it was back into reality because, you know, when you're used to that, you get so used to being treated oh. like that. All of a sudden you become this other person. It's really weird. Right. Open your oh, own that's door. So I was like, good. Oh, okay, sorry, Dad. Back to reality. Here we go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When you talked about the earth and the, and the potatoes, because when we did the bluebells around the world video and you were out in this forest, and then there was something else with you. You just, you sent me a picture of you out hiking. I just love that as much as you were like living this high life that you were so grounded and just the way you're, the photos of you just out in nature, it just makes this store even more beautiful. Like you get to go home and be with your family and be humble to open your own damn door. It's so good. Um, so when you went back, Mar Marissa was there. So how was that having your sister in Paris? Did that kind of, did you even get to see her? Was it kind of nice to have oh, somebody there for you that yeah, you well, connected Marisa, with? Marissa started really early. She started at 16 down in Tasmania and the fabulous shows down there that were run by uh, ex Lido principal dancer and the hairdresser of the, you know, doing all the wigs and everything at Lido. They, they were a couple and they went to uh, Tasmania and put on fabulous shows down there. So she she started working at 16 and she did uh, a whole year. And then, uh, but she didn't grow tall. She didn't grow tall like me. So when she came home, uh, basically uh, I said, okay, well, it's a good time for you to come over now because uh, this is when they hire in January. And she's like, oh, but I just got home. And, you know, she's still a little, she'd been homesick. And I said, well, if you're not going to get on the plane now, you can just, I don't know what you're going to do for a year, but, you know, you're going to forget about the whole opportunity then and and you, I don't know what you're going to do. But either get on the plane now or I don't, I don't know what to say to you. And she's like, oh, she's a bit of a cry. I just got home. <laughs> but she did. She got on the plane. She came over. And it was uh, Elias Kiraz who made the shoes for the Lido and the Moulin Rouge. She worked for Clairvoix. And he was a friend of Gunnar's because they'd worked in the Casino de Le Bon together in Beirut when the war broke out. Uh, they, they met each other there. They knew each other. And then they fled the war and basically ran into each other in the middle of the night in the street in Paris at the back of the Lido. And they were like, oh, my God, you're still alive. And he said, yes, I'm making the shoes uh, for the Lido and the oh Mont so he, um, he introduced Marisa, he took Marisa in to the Moulin Rouge for the audition and she got the job immediately. I loved when I interviewed her and she talked about hanging out backstage, how she learned from the best because she said that she would watch you guys come off stage and she said these goddesses and she put you in there in that category watching you <laughs> and Herman. She just talked about how she watched everything they did and how yeah, they performed and what they were like, how they did their makeup. And so by the time she got there, what a gift. But I loved when she talked about seeing you on stage that she was just in awe of her big sister. And mm -hmm. I love when she talked about you coming to see her in the show as a principal. That's just amazing to have these two talented, wonderful sisters. Did she tell, did she tell you that I was laughing my head off? Did she tell you I don't that? think so, but I need to hear oh, that. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't help myself because, you know, she was just young. She was only 17. And then she did principal, she did Diane McDonald's role. 
And I went to watch first show and second show. They let me watch both shows. And she came out, and the first thing she did when she came up was step, kick, step, kick, step, kick, right down this whole, like, diagonal line. Um, and then, you know, pirouettes and then part of those spins and layouts and goodness knows what. And then the last thing she had to, like, run her hand down her leg and just go, oh, and finish. And I was just going, ah, oh! I was just, like, laughing. And she looked over to me because she knew I was sitting, and I was laughing. And she just, and I was like, oh, my God, she's going to take that the wrong way. But what I was thinking was, I can't believe that's my sister being this sex goddess on the stage. Like, it was a bit shocking for me. And I was like, because I was uncomfortable, but she was amazing. And I was so proud of her, you know. So I got to go backstage and see her in between the shows. They took me back, which is wonderful. They've, they've always treated us like family there. And um, she said, well, what, can you tell me what was wrong? Why were you laughing? And I said, oh, sorry, I was laughing. I said, I just couldn't believe you. It's just being the sex goddess. I'm just like, how do I handle that right now, you know, because <laughs> you're so young and, and you did such a good job and I was laughing because of happiness and joy and love and amazement at how you were on that stage, you know. So I got to watch again hold my, hold my smile a little bit less that time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's so crazy. good. How, how many years did you do the Lido? I was there for eight and a half and I got a bit burnt out, as I said. It was just kind of time to be really, done. I was really lucky because when I, when I uh, was finishing off, I was packing up my life and to go back and I was training the girl who was going to take my spot, still modelling, and I was learning a show that was going to tour around America because it was the bicentennial of the French Revolution. And the oh. French Government Tourism Bureau uh, paid for the Lido to do a tour around the States. So we opened in New York and we did Dallas and Chicago and Houston and Los Angeles. Oh, oh cool. And I was the principal in that. And uh, that was a wonderful, wonderful way to finish because we were, we were treated like, you know, royalty when we arrived and we, we danced in the best hotels, you know, uh, in the, the ballrooms. And we stayed there and they chauffeured us around and showed us a wonderful time for that 10-day tour. So it was a wonderful way to finish. And I thought I'd never dance again, to be honest. Really, you were just done. That's the end. I was done. You know. You to be honest, dance- I think I had. I needed to leave Paris because I didn't like what I was turning into. I was getting a little bit, uh, maybe like a Parisian. <laughs> 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 a bit. Uh, there was a. There, I'll tell, can I tell you the story, or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What made me change my mind and to, to leave because I didn't actually like myself anymore. Um, it was when I was waiting. I was going down into the metro at the Arc de Triomphe. And it was rush hour and I'd been modeling all day. And there was a little tiny man with a French hat on. And uh, he was staring at me the whole time. And you get that when you're tall, you know, this, you, get, you get that a lot. And you do get harassed, actually, when you're tall and stand out a bit. And he just looked at me the whole time as we merged to go down together down the, down the um, escalator. And because he'd been staring at me nonstop, I just was really rude to him. And I said, what are you looking at? Or something like that. I think I swore at him. I won't say what I said. And he just looked at me and just looked away. And then I realized, oh, my God, he was just looking at me because I was tall and, you know, in a crowd and, and I, I need to get over myself. You know, this is, this is rude and, and I don't like who I am turning into and I have to leave Paris because of that. Wow. Yeah. That just shows a lot of character for you to notice that and to yeah. want to be different. Be, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like who I was turning into just being a real city person like that when I come from. Yeah, yeah, potatoes and earth. <laughs> Grounded family. <laughs> and nice to everybody. <laughs> did you go, when did you start your dance studio? 
you went back to well, Michelle. To Michelle started to dance studio often, and she got a job singing in Korea. And I felt sorry for the kids. And I, I went and I bought um, some property up up in the mountains up there, and I felt sorry for the kids. So she yeah. said, "Well, why don't you do it?" Uh, and I said, oh, "I never wanted to be a teacher." No. But uh, yeah, so I took the took it over, and it was a great way for me to learn the, uh, to meet the people up there in the community. They were a beautiful community. And uh, they really were very grateful that I was up there because it was up on top of the mountain range, you know, behind the Gold Coast. And wow. they were wonderful, you know. I really loved, you know, I've always loved children and uh, I think, you know, they give you a lot too. And they loved me being up there. So I was putting on the Nutcracker Ballet that year and, and still working and dancing at Jupiter's Casino. Yeah. Because there's, there's so many shows in Australia. I've seen beautiful video so there's a there's a lot of amazing. I'm always impressed by the Australian. Well, there's only that one met. show of its type in Australia that was back then was Jupiter's oh. Casino. It was oh really show that was the only show of its type. Apart from the ones in Tasmania that my sister worked in, that was okay. more like a, a, a you know Las Vegas style show. And every year uh, they had a different director, choreographer, um, you know, new show. And so you always had to re-audition for the show. And I never thought that I wanted to dance again. I did get quite burnt out in Paris and I got into the modelling in Sydney, which was nothing like Paris, let me tell you. And uh, and then while I was uh, modelling, Lisa Parison uh, said, oh, do you want to come along for an audition with Ross Coleman, who was one of Australia's best choreographers at the time? And I turned up and there's Michelle Brown and Lisa Perrison and some other people that I was like, why didn't you tell me? And they said, oh, you said you didn't want to dance anymore. And I said, okay, well, I guess I did, but you still could have told me because, you know, I love to work, you know. <laughs> and so I auditioned and I got the job and um, Ross, same thing, Ross old school, saw it straight away. And, uh, yeah, after two years of not dancing, I started dancing again. And I, so I danced 17 years professionally all up. Wow. Yeah. What was what was it like being back home, kind of finding yourself again? Did it feel oh, different it to great. dance again with you feeling more grounded and more who you, you know were? What was weird was most of the guys were straight. And I couldn't handle that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is weird. Okay, I'll have to get used to this. So he's he looking at me funny. <laughs> like, you know, when right. like, it was very different, but it was great. It was uh, always a different show every year. I had to prove myself every year and, you know, keep keep working hard and um luckily I got in for another seven years or something like that I did yeah oh, and I loved it, amazing. it got to meet all the Australian choreographers and directors and producers and uh, and they were great shows this way I've talked to so many people that danced maybe even to 40 because I just remember being 21 and seeing someone was 30 and thinking they were so old because I was told this is such a short career so do it while you can before you're an old granny and 30 yeah. and finding yeah. so many people that had a long wonderful career because you're if you can 36, still dance so up, up 36. 36 at the time which yeah. I never thought I would do um but but you know I still you know I was looking fine on stage and then I got hired so you know that was great and I was very grateful I was very grateful that the last show I did was a full-on dance show it's probably one of the hardest you know jazzy type of shows that I'd ever done um and you really had to count like every single like especially the opening, you had to count. So you were, you know, looking and spotting and yeah. Well, it was full on and I loved doing that show. And I was dancing with one boy who was 17 and I was like 35 or something. And we <laughs> 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 just tried not to laugh because I was so tall and he was a bit shorter. And and now he's, you know, choreographing um, wonderful 
in America. He's doing Ashley Wallen. He's doing so well over there. Really? Yeah. He choreographed The Greatest Showman. Really? Yeah. He choreographed The Greatest Showman. And oh, Cinderella my gosh. And he's doing so many wonderful things overseas. I'm so proud. That was your partner. Yeah, he was my partner. Oh. Yeah. He was only 17 at the time. So, you know, it was good. It was good. They enjoyed me being backstage there as an older um you know, dancer they called me dancerosaurus for kids, but I used to show them how to put makeup on and just keep everyone grounded again, you know. Is that Shay, the show that Shay was in? Shay was in uh, Tropical Nights. Because she talked about that, like that you had come from Paris, so she was in awe that you had danced with yeah. Lido and helping with makeup. And that's the one yeah. I saw you in that book. Like, I love yeah. Karina. I love this part of Karina. Yeah. You posted something uh, maybe last week of you in a red dress and saying like, like, why did I think I was too old? And it was amazing. I don't know how oh. old you were, but you were in the red dress. It was very classy. It was kind of jazzy showgirl combination. I got that dress I don't know in what Las the- Vegas. No, my, the lady that I was teaching for, I was teaching ballet at this really big school. It was mainly like hip hop and uh, I just did the ballet part of it. And she wanted all the teachers to dance on the stage for this. And I said, no, I'm too old. I don't want to do that. And, and she's like, come on, you have to do it. And so I said, well, you choreograph it. And so she just choreographed that and I choreographed the little girls up behind me. And uh, it was scary because I hadn't danced in heels for a while, you know. So yeah. that's a little bit of a hop when I kicked my leg because I was staying <laughs> on my tippy toes. But uh, I'm so glad that she made me do that. And it one was of the beautiful. Girls, I didn't have the video, but one of the girls videoed it and put it. She's now in New York, actually, one of the girls that used to teach ballet there. And she, she put it on the video and that's how I copied it off the video. <laughs> Yeah, you can see that there's a TV screen. That's how all yeah. mine are because I don't know how to get anything off of VHS anymore. But it was really great to see that because I think, like, you've always had it. And I think that there's something when we age that we that we think we can't do it. And I'm like, it's so good to see people owning the mature dancer side that's just classy. And it doesn't mean because you can't kick your face anymore. You don't, who needs to do a triple pirouette? Like you said, it was never about the triple pirouette. Um, but just to see like that is always in you. I'd love to tell you a little story about this blue girl when she asked me to do the pas de deux. I don't know if I've told you that. Have I told you that? I don't think so. So I was understudying everybody and like swing for everybody. And then she she decided she wanted me to do the pas de deux, which David Moore did with Emily uh, in, uh, uh, was that Coco Rico? Yeah, Coco Rico. And she, she gave me a partner to dance with who was Australian from Australian Ballet. And I thought about it and I thought, Oh my goodness, I'm already doing so many people. And that is a, a lead role. Like you were on stage with a guy for, I don't know, five minutes or something, like what Sean, Sean and Pam used to do. Yeah. And I would have to work really hard and always be on. And then you never know when they're going to go off. You know, as a swing, you know, when you're up to a lead like that, you hardly ever get to do it. And so I just knew that I would, to be, good at that I would have to rehearse all the time like almost every day you know to to not to not go out and fall or something like that and so I really thought about it and I was honored to be asked and then she called me up I said she said have a think about it I'd like you to do it I'll see you in a week so I went back up a week later and Pierre was sitting in her room in between shows and I said to her yes I think I'd like to do I'd like to do it but am I going to get paid more money that's what I said Oh, I was already getting paid enough, right? But I, was, I didn't really want to do it, so I said that. And then she said, what did she say? She said to Pierre, like she looked at Pierre saying, what did she just say? And then I was cheeky and I said, money, Miss Bluebell, you know, 
money. <laughs> I rubbed my fingers together. How rude is that? And she, she, she gave it to me and she said, oh, how dare a girl of your age ask for something like that when I'm giving you such an important position in the show. She said, at my age, I would have given my right leg to do a place like that in the show and you're thinking about money. Well, yeah, she said. And she and he started laughing his head off at what she said and I just stood my ground. And, uh, and she said, well, we're going to have to discuss that. You can go. And so I left. <laughs> and then I got called up about, and I was glad because I really didn't want to do it. And then because the partners change all the time too, right? Oh, yeah. How can you trust that too, right? And those are major lifts. Those aren't like little lifts. Everything I've seen, that's like you have to really. And I probably would have wanted to do it on point as well. Like I would have, yeah. I would have, you know, like to have done the best I could politically would have been a great challenge for me, but I wasn't very good at being lifted. I was scared and things like that. I had tried it. I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. So uh, anyway, a week, about a week, a week later, Pierre called me into his dressing room and said, um, okay, you don't, you're not going to be doing it. And I said, why? Because of the money. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, no, because you're already doing so many places and you're right. Like if you're doing someone's place and you can't just jump in and do that place, it wouldn't have worked. So I said, okay, that's great. But it was the money, right? (laughs) (laughs) Good for you for asking because Dan's like, okay, that's terrible. I'm a terrible business person. I didn't have a clue how to talk business. But this, a lot of dancers won't even bring it up. I have so many, I know we have to close here, Parisa, but I have so many questions because Diane DeAmato talked about your, was it your final show that you put point shoes on? Yes. You weren't supposed I, I to. I love point that. point shoes because they were pink and the, the, the costume that we wore in the finale was pink. It was beautiful pink. It's like a tutu actually. And uh, I, I can show you a photo of that because I'm with uh, Jean Kelly in that costume. And yes, I thought I'll just go up on point and, and her point shoes fitted. And Pierre, Pierre was sitting uh, in the audience and uh, I did Merci Beaucoup, which is the finale. Did you used to sing that? Merci no. Okay. So, and then Pierre stood up and he always had these John Lennon glasses, but he actually stood up in the audience and I thought, oh, I'm in so much trouble because I'm wearing my point shoes. <laughs> and he actually just stood up in honour, I think, and watched me on the point shoes. And I that was a really that. strange moment because for me I was happy and sad and scared and everything just washed over me at the same time so I felt like a bit like a cuckoo you know like crazy because of the mixtures of emotions you know the last right. time I was beaucoup, I was on point and I hadn't been on point for years and worried about breaking my ankles and really just trying to do a good job and finish it without nobody really noticing that I was on point because we wore pink boots very high heel boots anyway yeah. it wasn't like it was disturbing the show or anything so I just tried to do my very best right to the end yeah. I love that story because when Diane mentioned that, I just go, oh my gosh, it's just the boldness and that Pierre honored it. It's just so beautiful. I have to ask only two more questions because I'm like, I would, I have so many things I want to ask. I talk too much. <laughs> no, it's so good. There's so many stories you have. And because you keep, people keep referring to you, I'm like, I want to hear this firsthand. So I'm, I don't know if I've even met you with the reunion. I met Michelle because her daughter had danced with a teacher from my studio. So I think I might've met you secondarily. I used to teach her daughter here. She was amazing. Really? I taught a grade three ballet and within six months she got distinction. I was so proud of her. Oh very concentrated. Gosh. Yeah. So I was very wow. honest to teach her. Yeah. I love her like my second daughter. <laughs> oh, I just love the whole connection of friends and the daughters. And But mm. then I, you were the picture of you putting, helping Savannah with her headdress because that, that reunion was just so incredible. Everybody talks about being magical and I loved it, but I had never 
worked in Paris. I got offered, I didn't take it. And now I went there like, oh, I could have lived here and done this. But it was just to see the magic of those of you who had danced on that stage come back for the reunion and watch the show and be on there and just to, to feel it again was I got a lot of watching the people who had lived in Paris to see them all find each other. And like, the, it was just so beautiful, the connection to Paris, to the Lido, to the cast. But then to see your daughter up there, I mean, had you, you'd seen her in the show already, right? Or was that the first time you saw Savannah on that stage? Uh, no, no, I'd seen her before. Let me think. She, she auditioned when she was on her 18th birthday and then we, we came home and then she went back over. And I think, I think Jane, I hope I won't get into trouble for saying this, but Jane sent me a little video of her in the show so I didn't get to miss out. That's Which so good. Was such an honour. I, I was very, very happy and humbled that she did that um, so that I didn't feel like I missed out. So I actually got to see Savannah before she saw herself. <laughs> oh, wow. <sighs> yeah, so I was, I was you know, I'm very grateful that she sent me this little link and I got to see her, her doing that role. And then I went over there and saw her in the show and then I went over again for the reunion and, uh, you know, to me, I'm so glad I went to the reunion because that was just the pinnacle of the pinnacle. I'd been to the previous reunion, which was wonderful. Then we had the picnic reunion, which Michelle organised, which yeah. was great. And then we had all these other little reunions before the big reunion, which uh, you, you came to. And, you know, to be sitting on Donana's level and watching next to Gunnar and watching our daughter on the stage, I mean, I couldn't top that. I couldn't top that whole experience and I felt like I just don't need to go back to Paris anymore really because nothing's ever going to be as good as that ever again for me. As I, yeah, there's so much in there because I think seeing her the first time must have been wonderful, but to do it with all these other bluebells who are so happy because a lot of the people in the cast I talked to said that the energy that we were giving in yes. the house, they could feel it when the curtain came up and it was so good. So to have... To see your daughter on the stage with bluebells on both sides, it just feels like, like, I don't know how you would top that. And it you're was, proud of your daughter, like but to know you. It was you like there was no barrier. It's like we became one. All the people yeah. in the audience and all the people on the stage and everybody right around from the lighting to the, you know, to the musicians, to the waiters, we, we became one that night. And it was just love, like in a circle. It was beautiful. Oh, yeah, that was one I think it, I processed over and over and still can't quite grasp all the magic that I felt. Because I knew it was going to be fun, but I had no idea that I was going to be so moved by this experience. And yeah, and yeah I wasn't I just, crying I didn't, or anything. Like, I didn't cry or I was just so happy. So happy yeah, for everyone. Oh, bliss. I was so happy to see these women. <laughs> it was funny. That night I had one of my, my fathers that I, I taught uh, six of his children, actually, three boys and three girls. And he happened to be in Paris that night. And I said, oh, it's a, it's a special event. Like, um, I don't think you can come, but please come and say hello, you know, come up and say hello and ask me. Um, but he, he actually got a ticket and he sat at the back and then I had broken my toes. So I couldn't walk around. I saw him and I waved and, and he came over to me. He's a doctor up here in Australia. And he said, I feel like I'm in Hollywood. He said, I've never seen so many beautiful, glamorous women in my life in one place. He said, <laughs> he said, and I said, I don't know. And look at the ages of them. They're right from young right through to 80 and they're all spectacular. I said, they're like, like goddesses. They're amazing. 
he couldn't believe it. He was so glad he came. Wow. That'd be so interesting to come from the outside to see that and know there is something happening in this room that is beyond. You didn't miss that because you don't, that was a one-off event that I don't know how that can ever be Mm. done again. It was so special. So I need to draw this to an end, even though I, I really just want to hang out with you in Australia and just have a, a couple days. Anytime. You're always welcome. Come and stay at my house. Oh, like, I would love that. Cause I know like besides all the things I said, like you also sent me a video for when we did the opening night, when the Lido reopened that you were gracious to send a video to the cast. And so I've, I always have these ways to reconnect with, how can I keep reconnecting with, with Karina? Um, but I wanted to ask you something to, to end this because I, have fallen more in love with Miss Bluebell from doing these interviews because I told I inter- I auditioned with her. I didn't really know who she was or why she mattered until years later. And so every story makes me just realize how fortunate I was to work for her and that the, the legacy was beyond anything I knew and how much she matters that the careers that we all have. But you said that you were listening in with, when the other Host was asking. Actually, his his family went back to King Louis the Fourteenth and had the ring. The oh my gosh! So and he was the one that was fascinating, and he wanted to yeah, know about. Yeah, so her. he asked her all about you know who she worked with because of course you know the French people really love their French stars. So Edith Piaf and uh, Maurice Chevalier, and uh, you know the, the list is endless. Alain Delon, you know she knew all of those people because she'd worked with them, and he wanted to know you know a little bit of inside gossip about each one. So she was giving giving him her personal um, stories because she'd worked, you know, with the Bluebell girls with these people, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was really, really interesting because that's when I really got an insight into, you know, how amazing she was, how respected she was. I mean, it was huge back, back then. Back then, you know, the Bluebell yeah. girls were so famous and, uh, and she was part of all of the really other famous entertainers as well, part of their, you know, um, being together with them on the stages and in the theatres and mixing with them with her Bluebell girls. So she got to see lots of how they were in real life as well, not just on stage, but behind the scenes. That was oh. very interesting. That was a real eye-opener. Eye and, you know, Miss Bluebell always sat there with her beautiful hair and her beautiful clothes, very, very elegant yeah, cheeky. Yeah. Glint of that Bluebell sparkle in her eye. And she would, uh, I could listen to her forever, her stories. And she cared. She cared. She loved and she cared. And she wanted respect and she was very elegant. And she was like a mother to us all. You know, she really was. And I was so, so grateful to have been one of the chosen ones to be by her side and be like a friend with her, you know, staying with her in the chateau and staying in the hotels and travelling with her was uh, was was wonderful time in my life and I'll never forget it. I feel like oh. she was like my second mom, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good way to end. I just know when I interviewed for the um, the tribute I did for the love of Miss Bluebell and Pete Menifee talked about um, her, the, her humor because he told some funny stories about them going up for pizza. And it just made me go, oh, that's right. I just picture her like so proper, but like she had a sense of humor. He's like kind of a Very wicked sense of humor. Very yeah. down to earth at the same time. Yes. I actually saw her slap one of the clerico. I think it was Joseph Clerico. She slapped him across the face one day in the, in the, um, in the uh, auditorium. But she did it like an Italian would do, you know, like oh, an really? Italian mama would do. It was kind of 
one of those slaps. It wasn't a nasty slap. It was a, oh, you cheeky boy slap, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she t- I wanted to tell you one more thing. She took us all to, to London in our costumes without permission of the Clericos because she got her 50th anniversary in show business award from Ken Dodd at the Savoy. So she flew us in these pink costumes in the middle of winter in a plane, in a bus, to the Savoy in our G-string, sitting there eating lunch. <laughs> and then we, we didn't sleep. And then we flew back and we got in the bus and we came back and I was dragging my butt. I was so tired. I was the last one walking down the stairs. We had to get ready for the show. We hadn't slept all night. And then I ran into Joseph Clerico and he said, where have you been in French? He said, where have you been dressed like that? And I said, London. <laughs> and he said, who gave you permission to do that? And I said, Miss Buddha. And then she started swearing, saying, Ele con, Ele par, and all this stuff. And I pretended I didn't understand that he was being very rude about Miss Buddha. And I said, Je ne comprends pas. And I walked away. But then I realized I just got her into trouble. She did it. She probably knew that if she asked permission, they say no, because, you know, if just, there was a crash or something, there'd be no show that night. But she probably said, <laughs> So good for her. Good for her oh. being naughty, Miss Bluebell. That, that is a great way to end this. Oh my! I'm just picturing yeah. you guys in G-strings and and cost in the full costumes on a plane and a bus. That okay? That's if there's a video of that or if anyone makes a movie oh, of Miss Bluebell, that us. needs. Will I you share those? those? Yeah, yeah. And she sat next to Sophie Loren because Sophie Loren was launching her perfume at the time. Oh <laughs> when my we God! Throw, they didn't know who to let off first. All these girls in pink feathered costumes, or Sophie Loren. That was so funny. <laughs> oh I just shows you her guts, her guts. If she wanted to do something, whether she had permission or not, she was going to do it. Oh, her so I, I love her more. Way to end too. <laughs> that's such a good way to end. So you're going to share photos because you sent me a few when I did the thing with you and Michelle for the, but it, you were just sending because I wasn't posting. I have some of those. So anything else you want to send, even if you have a hundred, I'll post them all because your photos are so fun. And it's, I think all of us love seeing the pictures of other people in the show wearing costumes either that they wore or things they've never seen before. So yeah, anything you want to share? Karina, I am going to hang out with you. I'm going to get to Australia just so Please we can do. have more conversation. Come and so, be my guest. Yeah, I would. And you come to Seattle, whatever. Um, but I adore you. I just am so grateful that I, I interviewed you because you just really opened up this whole other part of Bluebell's character and this life of Paris that I didn't even know about. So um, you take care of yourself until we meet again. Thank you, uh, Sherry. And thank you for doing what you do. It's just oh. keeping, keeping the, it's keeping like a historical record, which is really great for, you know, many generations to come. So thank you for what you do. It's such a delight. I'm just, I'm, it's educating me and making me have a, a fun reason to talk to people all over the world. And good luck okay. for your trip to Paris. Thank Enjoy. you. I'm so excited. I'm going to go find those macaroons. La Dorée. I just remembered. La Dorée. What does that mean? Oh, that's La the name Dore. of the place? That's the name of the place. Yeah, I'll send All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can get Bluebells to do tea time with me there while I'm in Paris.